Welcome to the Clubhouse. Get the beers in and sit yourself down. Hello there. Welcome back to the Clubhouse podcast. Uh, my name is Alan Dimmick. I'm joined, uh, I'm flanked in fact, by Sarah Mockford and Katie Field. Hello to both of you. How are you? Morning. Morning. Nice. I would say maybe instead of a rose between two thorns, it's a thorn between two roses, Katie. What do you reckon? true, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think the first one probably is more fitting. Uh, right. Lots to get through in a very short period of time. Um, and by the way, just wanted to say thank you to the people that have stuck with the podcast. I know we've been, um, it's a bit like the hokey-cokey, we've been in and out with podcasts over the last wee while, so we're hoping to make it uh, more regular again. If you listened last week, um, fascinating insight from Dave Allred. If you haven't caught up with that, I'd have a look at it. But today, there's a few things we need to plough through, one of which, guys, I'm going to start with you, Katie, is we had the li- some of the Lions assistance coaches were announced yesterday, and... Could you have been blindfolded, had your fingers in your ears for months and still picked those assistant coaches for the Lions? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he obviously has gone with Howley. Wales haven't had a great autumn, but I think it would take more than that to make Warren Gatlin think twice about having Rob Howley with him. Um, The only thing I would say about that is on the last Lions tour, they had a lot of Wales players in their squad. I think unless Wales have some kind of miraculous Six Nations, there might be fewer Wales players this time. And so it'd be interesting to see how Howley and Gatlin deal with a squad that maybe, you know, is is a lot more Irish and English. But we shall see. I might be getting ahead of myself there. Um, Borthwick, a, a deserved um, promotion, I think. He's very well thought of. He's come through really well in the last couple of years and uh, is making a good name for himself. And Andy Farrell, this time last year, he was under a fairly large cloud after England's um, World Cup debacle. And quite a lot of people were blaming his influence and questioning how much influence he'd had um, over the things that went wrong there. But He was too much of a character, uh, we were saying. He was too powerful a person. Yeah, I mean, that's what he was being accused of, certainly. And I've never heard him come out and defend himself from that. Presumably, he signed some sort of confidentiality clause that stops him from talking about it. But um, but he most most do we think I yeah. think. But he's rehabilitated himself this autumn with Ireland if he needed to rehabilitate himself and perhaps he didn't really and um, yeah so uh, a, a, another one to balance up the squad to balance up the coaches and the players that they know he obviously knows the Ireland players now and he knows the England players and so he's going to be um, a, a sort of an important character I think. I think there's a couple of ways you could look at it. It's consistency. You could say right. Two of the same assistants that won a series in Australia four years ago who have worked with Warren Gatland, who Gatland trusts. Okay, fair enough. I think the thing that's come out in the wash that's left people with a, a bit of a bad taste is the idea of Rob Howley looking after attack is something. Now, have you seen Wales fans over the last few weeks grumbling um, about Wales and their attack under Rob Howley, how that's, how that's performed? But also I think the thing is what's come out is Gregor Townsend has turned down a role with the Lions to focus on taking over with Scotland in the summer. The people of the SRU will be jumping up and down and blowing party poppers and that sort of mm-hmm. thing over this sort of news. But actually what's transpired is it sounds very much like Townsend was offered a role as an assistant to Rob Howley, which is a an interesting one depending yeah. on where you go. Some of the chat that came out yesterday was about how there will be more auxiliary assistants named who will be, I'm doing air quotes here, specialists. And the chances are that they'll be looking at attack. Now, if Rob Howley's so good that you're going to pick him over Gregor Townsend, why do you then need so many supplementary coaches to look after the Lions' attack? Is attack 
Now, we now got to the stage where everyone used to say, right, defence used to win championships, but actually defence is, is okay now. It can be looked after one person. Attack is so difficult that it needs to be looked after by two or three people. I just think he wants to have more coaches this time because what he found in 2013 is because in a week... Nearly every day, the coaches are preparing a team because if there isn't, the, if they're not preparing the Saturday team, you're preparing the Tuesday team. And what he found in 2013 is that coaches didn't have any time off. Like basically, they were, had to be on it all the time, and they might be switching from one session with the Saturday team to then go and work with the Tuesday team. And he wants to allow them a bit more room to breathe, a bit of downtime, so that, to get the best out of them. So that's why I think he's looking at extra people. I think. I would have loved to see Gregor Townsend go. I think he's a great coach, but I've said it for a while now. I don't see how any club coach can really be involved because if they're involved in the playoffs until the end of May, when are they going to have the time to sit down, have a chat with the other coaches, develop a tactical game plan, all that sort of thing? I just think that's quite complicated, which is why maybe he was offered an assistant to an assistant role. Yeah. A lot of assistants going on here. But I did see a few comments from New Zealand last night saying that the coaches that had turned down positions were better than the um, coaches that have got positions because obviously Joe Smith ruled himself out as well didn't he Eddie Jones has ruled himself out so a lot of people obviously might have expected different coaches who they'd be Mm -hmm. more worried about I mean it'll be really interesting to see who comes in loads of talk about Ben Ryan I think that could be really exciting you know he he knows he's always been quite a creative coach and um, one thing I mooted a few months ago, whether it comes off, I don't know, but if he's talking about specialists, Johnny Wilkinson is an extra kicking coach. You know, he's someone that all those players can relate to. He's working with England quite a lot now. And what about Paul O'Connell to have a look at like set piece? You know, those sort of players, they know what it's like to be a lion. They're, yeah, they haven't got loads of experience, but they could inspire players and they could not be in charge of developing the whole tactical game plan, but work on those specialist areas. Yeah, I think O'Connell's a really good shout because obviously he knows the Ireland players, any of the Ireland players that are going to go next summer would know him well. And um, and he's such an inspirational, iconic figure to them. Uh, so I think he could have a role, not just in terms of, you know, helping with the line-out or a specialist area like that, but just as a kind of... Um, uh, mentor, um, yeah, exactly. um, pastoral role, that's where I was, I was trying to get. Very Saracens of you there. They're away <laughs> for a long time. And so if, you know, if there's an island player that needs, you know, an arm around him and a chat about something that's maybe something that's gone wrong at home or something's gone wrong on tour, you know, he's a great figure for that because they, they know him so well. The thing is, is you've, we've heard it in dispatches that Gatland behind the scenes is actually believes that some, a lot of, what happened in 2005 has such a bad rep. Um, and actually, I think we've heard in dispatches that Warren Gatland is actually believes that a lot of the setup and the numbers of personnel that went actually was probably the right thing to do for a Alliance tour, let alone a Lions tour to New Zealand, which is so difficult. Um, I think the thing is as well then, is because there's such a stigma about 2005, that you can't come out and say, actually, what we need is a couple of coaches to look after the Dirt Tracker team. Because that's what's happened before, and everything everything to do with um, 2005 is tainted. But really, that's probably what they need. The interesting thing for me is to see Borthwick's not a scrummaging specialist, and if he's looking at coaches to look after attack or skills or specifics, you'd hope that you'd hope that one of those is possibly looking at the scrum. Otherwise, Gatlin's left looking after the scrum, and if Gatlin's left looking at this after the scrum, and you've got th- possibly three people looking at attack or skills specific to attack. Is that leaning too far one way and not the other? 
it's an interesting to see what the breakdown is. I know that his hands are tied with a lot of things. Yeah, it's tricky. And what you don't want to have is too many coaches, because when there's so many coaches, which may... Like, I do think in 2005, he has mooted that maybe they were right to have sort of separate coaching teams and that sort of thing, but not splitting the squad. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to have too many coaches, because then they all want to justify their job, and they all want to have that time with the players. And these players are going to be coming off the back of a really long season. You want to make it really, like... I don't want to use the word simple but straight it doesn't want to be complicated you don't want to come up with some really technical complicated game plan it wants to be as straightforward as quick to learn as you can so that it's not too much for the players but you don't want to have 10 assistant coaches who all want to have their 20 minute segment and then when do people have a chance to rest recover do the physio all the other things it's going to help them perform okay well we'll see in in a few weeks time i think we're going to see the breakdown of who else coaches come in there will be lots of names that are bandied around um, I think Ben Ryan is still fairly hopeful to be to possibly be brought into the mix somewhere there. Uh, Wilkinson, we could see there's there's it depends what you want, what specialists you want. So plenty to happen there. I did see that Gatlin said he didn't know the names, of, didn't know who some of the yeah. people were who'd been banded around. So <laughs> I don't know what coaches they were, but always fun. I think that was a bit of kidology there from Warren. Uh, right, just quickly moving on. Um, because off the back of this, we've mentioned that Eddie Jones ruled himself out some time ago, but Katie Field, what, having had one year in charge, perfect set from Eddie Jones as England head coach, what a year for England. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, it's we feel like the good times are back if, you, if you're an England fan, which is great. Um, a year too late, maybe, but there we go. Um, <laughs> I think looking at what they've done this autumn, um, I mean, they've done it without a few key players. They've used quite a lot of of depth through the squad, partly because it's been fought on them by injury. Um, and I think man management has to be the key to the success because he's got a lot of the same players that we had um, in the autumn of, of 2015. And he's just getting them to to play so much better and they seem to have had the weight of the world lifted off their shoulders. You hear interesting little snippets from different players, like Ben Young's talked last week about how Eddie Jones spoke to him and said that he needed to eat less sweets and... Uh, and sort of, you know, maybe he was carrying a little bit too much weight, but did it in a kind of jokey way. And so I think he's he, he seems to be very good at managing the different individuals um, and, yeah, getting the best out of them. I, th- I think he's terrific. He seems to take a lot of pressure off them as well, like, because he always... When he's he a does, lightning rod, isn't he? Yeah, when he does media and all that sort of thing, he'll always throw in some sort of quip or something that will generate a headline. So it sort of deflects attention away from the team and it's, it's all about him so in a way everything is coming back to him and maybe that's I suppose helping a, people have a bit more belief there's a prime example of that is it was at the game after England beat Argentina and he came straight into the press room had had very little time in the dressing room afterwards there were players still out on the pitch and he was I'd already decided what the line was going to be and he said a lot of the talk could have been about um the scrum remember during the World Cup a lot was made about the way that Joe Marler scrummaged and how that was going to go against Australia in the World Cup game and it became this big headline that everyone started talking about um, and Eddie Jones came into the press room and straight away he said the boys are just really fired up, the boys have said that they're really fired up for playing against Australia, he hadn't even had time to speak to any of them yet so you know there was a bit of he's just gone right this is the line I want to go down I'm going to talk about the scrum myself and turn turn the focus on its head and that was one of those where he went I'm going to say something that's potentially outlandish so that everyone is looking at me rather than looking at the players and asking them certain types of questions and is he we've spoken a lot 
about the kind of character he is and how he, you know he's always a good a good person to have with the media and that sort of stuff. But from the way England have played, Katie, what have you noticed that's different from even even in the space of a year? Is it even just a sense of a bit more swagger? Yeah, I think it is actually. Um, I, they do seem to have a, a much more confident air about them. Um, he, yeah, I, th- I mean they were never bad players, and in the build up to the last World Cup things were going really well and it was only at the World Cup itself that it went wrong and so that to me says that things were wrong mentally you know there was some sort of major upheaval in that summer beforehand and and things went wrong and it just spiralled from there um so I think I mean Steve Borthwick maybe we should be looking at him and saying is he you know playing a key role has he got the the pack firing a bit more playing a bit better being a bit more clinical they've still got problems they're still giving away too many penalties in pretty much every game and um, and get, you know getting maybe a little bit frustrated by that, but they he he just seems to have them playing for each other perhaps and and for him. Yeah, I think it's just that confidence thing, and that can make a real difference. And I think he's given that to him. But what I given that to them. But what I like the most is like after the game on Saturday, obviously they've equaled what the 2003 team did, won 14 straight games in a row. But he's like we're nowhere near as good. Was the 2003 like they could win it in different ways they had all this sort of depth whereas he's accepted and I don't think anyone would say like this England team's playing mind-blowing rugby but you look at those players and there probably is a lot more levels to go I mean personally I think defensively there's been they were really good in the Six Nations but in against Australia in June they conceded a lot of tries this autumn they've conceded a lot of tries quite a lot of soft tries yeah and I think yeah. that's something they're really going to need to look at going there has back been a lot into... of, there has been a lot of pressure on Gustard over the last couple of months isn't there yeah I just think they they've their defensive line hasn't been as strong as it was maybe even during the World Cup it wasn't like they you know but they do give away a lot of penalties as well but I but, think there's a lot more potential to come yeah which is exciting. I suppose they're sort of finding their feet as well because I do take your point there and there does seem to have been a lot of pressure on Gustav conceding soft ties but then again in that first half against Australia England didn't didn't create anything but the scores yeah. they did score were from defensive turnovers so you know it swings and roundabouts with it all I suppose the interesting thing is that Eddie for Eddie Jones I imagine is look at where he is with this team now and where it can potentially go now, people don't always realise the potential. But it's it must if you're an England fan, it must be an incredibly exciting time. Not just for the men, Sarah Mockford, because you have an interview for us very quickly here on the podcast. Oh, okay. So England finished their autumn series with a big win against Canada, who obviously they played in the 2014 final. Probably a bit unfair on Canada. They played three matches in a week because that was their. It's the scale. women we're talking about. Here, yeah, women. They um. So they really convincingly beat Ireland, narrowly lost to New Zealand midweek, and then played England at Twickenham on the Saturday after the Argentina game, and were heavily beaten. But England looked good. They'd lost to New Zealand during the autumn, but that was the only defeat. So we caught up with Vicky Cornborough, the loose head prop who sort of shares the jersey with world record holder Rocky Clark. And um, this is what she sort of made of the Autumn Series and looking ahead to the Six Nations. So how would you sum up the Autumn Series as a whole from England's perspective? Well, we came out um, into the Autumn Series with uh, a viewpoint to get our performances uh, uh, put down. We wanted to lay down a marker for the uh, for this upcoming season. I definitely think we did that. With the World Cup uh, coming around the corner, the performances that we put in really uh, puts down the, uh, the marker for us to uh, go into a successful World Cup year. 
And how do you think, obviously, after this, everyone's going to go, well, most people are going to go professional. Are you looking forward to that element? Yeah, I can't wait. So uh, my contract starts in uh, in January, and it's something that I've always aspired to uh, t- uh, to become a, a professional athlete. Even now, I, I can't believe that I've actually got the opportunity to do that, especially in my kind of playing career. So for it to come now, when I'm right at the, uh, the beginning of my international uh, career, I can't wait to see what the next couple of years brings. Okay, so that, that's England, but Katie Field, what about the other home nations? I suppose it's best to start with Ireland, really, because obviously beat New Zealand for the first time in their history, sort of given everyone else in, in the British and Irish Isles just a sense of, oh, maybe maybe the Lions isn't a foregone conclusion. Maybe there's a lot that can happen uh, with that. But uh, lost the second game to them, but beat Canada in between. What, what did you make of Ireland's? I know, I, know they've, I know they've had a week off and that Munster are top of the Pro 12 and that promises are going on but what, what did you make of Ireland's November? Yeah I think they'd be well satisfied I mean particularly to go to Chicago and beat New Zealand over there I think they've come agonisingly eye-wateringly close to beating New Zealand in recent years and haven't done it and, uh, and when I heard that they were taking a game to Chicago I was like well what are you doing that for you, you're, you're giving away your home advantage you're, you're missing a trick there but obviously I was totally, money that, Katie. totally <laughs> wrong about that because they went there and won and, um, and so I think to then be able to keep the momentum going through the autumn was also really good because they could easily have taken their eye off the ball and thought, wow, we've beaten New Zealand, we've finally done it. But, you know, they carried on. Yes, they lost 21-9 to New Zealand in the second game, but um, but they still had the win over Australia and um, and Canada. They've blooded some new players, a lot of new players. Um, they were forced in some cases to, to play young players who people have been talking about and uh, and they've been doing really well um yeah so i think they'd have to be more than happy yeah i think i was just gonna say i think they're the first team since new since england in 2003 to beat the three tri-nations south africa australia new zealand in the same calendar year yeah you're right so that's a massive achievement for them when giving you if you looked at the number of times they've beaten those teams over the years like they've never won in south africa before had they so i think they'll be huge and you just look they had injuries so, like, Robbie Henshaw, I think, was great. He's really put himself in the frame for the Lions. But then he's ruled out of the Australia game. Gary Ringrose comes in, is great. Tyg Furlong, everyone's been going on about how Mike Ross is still going in mid-30s. Tyg Furlong's come in, and he's really done a job. And now people are talking about him as the Lions' tight head. Mm-hmm. I just think... Him and Jack McGrath had incredible see, yeah. yeah, he is. And I think those... It's really good for them that they've actually got depth, because Ireland's problem before is that they've had a really strong first 15... But then whenever there was an injury, they would really struggle to fill it with the same sort of quality player. And now I think they've got that a lot more. I've got three points on why playing the New Zealand and Chicago was the perfect place to play them. <laughs> Firstly, uh, every picture you see of New Zealand in training or social situations outside of uh, the, the All Blacks official stuff, they're always all wearing basketball shirts. So if you take them to Chicago, home of the <laughs> Chicago Bulls, instantly you've distracted them. Windy City, they kick more than anyone else on the planet. So take them to a place that's famous for its wind. And third, celebrating the deep dish pizza. I can't think of a better way. Can I just say as well, I don't think it was Ireland's decision to go to Chicago. I think. Hey, I don't care. I it think fell it was into New place. Zealand, so... It all fell into place for Ireland there. What about Sarah Mockford? Wales... Yeah, I don't think they'd necessarily come off the autumn full of confidence. So yeah, they got some. They beat Argentina, they beat Japan just, and they um, beat South Africa. So on the face of it, three wins out of four, 
But that Australia game was pretty awful. Um, and I just I still think there's a lot of concerns for them there about what way they want to play and how they're going to mix it up and some of the selections I don't necessarily agree with. But it'll do be. You, do you think that a, a few members of personnel fall out of the team for assorted reasons, and it just seems that much harder for Wales to scramble back to parity? Maybe it's a bit like what I was just saying about Ireland is that when you take some players out of that first choice fifteen, they can struggle to mm-hmm. fill them. And with Wales, you it, they could be in that situation now. and Or maybe it's just that players aren't in as the form that people want them to be. Like Cuth- Cuthbert keeps getting picked, even though he's probably not in the best form at the moment. Liam Williams was one player who really stood out in the autumn. Switching him and Lee Halfpenny about between 15 and the wing, do they want to make a decision on that and stick with it? You know, I think they probably missed Falatar 8 as well as Ross Moriarty played. I think there's loads of um, question marks there. I didn't actually see the South Africa game. That's a big win for them. They haven't, in, since Gatland took over, they haven't had loads of wins against the Southern Hemisphere, so they'll take that. But you've got to then look at it in the context that that's one of the worst South African teams that have toured. Ever. Yeah. yeah. You know, they've been so long confidence that that was a big, you know, if Wales hadn't won that, that would have been a shock. Yeah. I mean, th- you know, you would, at face value, three wins out of four in the autumn, you'd say, oh, well, that was all right. I'm sure they'd have taken that if you'd offered them that in August. But it was the manner of it that was so bad, I think. And um, and I don't think they'd be at all satisfied with how it went. I think you're right. They need to make a decision about where they're going to pick Halfpenny and, and Liam Williams. I think, obviously, they have their new attack coach, Matt Sherratt, and whether they were trying to introduce things and maybe falling between two stools a bit. You know, maybe they'll be better come the Six Nations or maybe have keeping, more time to work with them. I don't know. Or maybe keeping similar or the same players and using them for the new system rather than going, let's bring in Keelan Giles, for example, and yeah. see how he goes in the new system. Yeah, I mean, you've got to think 2012 was when they had a sim- like they had a really bad autumn and they slipped out of the top eight, all led to the World Cup draw for 2015. <laughs> But then they bounced back in 2013 and won the championship. Yeah. So it'll be. I think the Six Nations will be really interesting. Like people are saying, it's like England v Ireland, and I do think that game at the end of the Six Nations will be key, especially as it's St Paddy's Day in Ireland. Good scheduling. Well, not St Paddy's Day, St Paddy's weekend. But I think Wales will still play a part. England have got to go to Cardiff, and that's never an easy time. Everyone has failed to mention that England's big game. In the Six Nations, Scotland obviously will be the Calcutta Cup match because Katie Field. There's a sense of goodwill with Scotland at the moment, isn't there? There's a, yeah. I mean, slightly under the radar when you compare it to England and Ireland, but a bit more positive. Yeah, definitely. You know, a good autumn. They came within a whisker of beating Australia and you know, agonisingly managed to lose that in the last few minutes after dominating 65 minutes of the game. And then they beat Argentina and Georgia. So, you know, job done, really. Boxes ticked. They Again, they've used some new players. They had a lot of front row injuries. And um, and so they had to use new props. And I was fortunate to interview Alan Dell yesterday, um, who won his first cap this autumn and then made it three caps. And uh, we were laughing about when he made his debut. He was... Um, Obviously, he went into the match with no caps. Zander Fagerson had one cap off the bench, and they were next to Ross Ford with it, who was celebrating his 100th cap. So uh, we were saying, you know, a, a front row with 101 caps, you'd think that'd be quite decent. But unfortunately, 100 of them belong to the same person. <laughs> yeah. But, the, you know, they came through. He said he was really nervous about making the step up. and um, But, you know, they did it. They they did all right. And I think, yeah, Scotland are, are finding some depth that they didn't have before. Well, because Zander Fagerson's in the new issue of Rugby World, which is in shops now. 
and same off when you interviewed him for that. But there's there's a sense that sometimes with the Scotland team when they pick guys like that, you'd say, who, what, why, Hamish Watson, why is he coming? And then he has an incredible uh, autumn. Do you think young guys like that are are very fortunate with Scotland at the moment in that it's not. Oh, we're going through a tough time and we've got lots of injuries and all this sort of stuff and you've got to come in and try and save us please it's the opposite of that yeah I think there's like quite an air of optimism at the moment isn't there I mean it's a bit of a weird situation because Fern's only there until the end of the Six Nations so yeah. I don't know how that is in a player's mind like because obviously Greg is coming in and you know he's going to be keeping an eye on who, how are you trying to impress you know that's a sort of strange situation when you know the coach is going to change in five games time Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think there's a real air of optimism. There's quite a lot of young players in there. Like, Hugh Jones came in and did really well at centre when no one really knew who he was. I think Magnus Bradbury's been really impressive. So I think there's a lot of um, promise there. You know, that's where Ireland play their first game in the Six Nations at Murrayfield. It's going to be an interesting opener. Well, the Six Nations will be fascinating. Uh, plenty to go on. Um, a lot will change. You know, we'll know who these Lions assistants are by then. We'll know who the sort of things that they might want to keep their eye on. There'll be musical chairs, there'll be all sorts going on, there'll be mind games of plenty. Uh, but that is a little bit further off. Just focusing on the here and now, I want to talk about the Champions and Challenge Cup quickly and the fixtures that are coming up there. But the one thing we need to touch on is, um, it's a big part of the news um, over the last few days, is if you haven't seen it, there was an incident in the Northampton Saints-Leicester Tigers game in which... George North and Thompson went up to, to get a ball. George North fell down. What appeared to be landed on his side, he looked, um, depending on the, the pictures and stills that you saw, that he was out cold on the ground. There's been some dispute over whether he was or wasn't. Um, he had an HIA, he went back out there and played some rugby. And a lot of people, um, in the media especially, have been asking some stinging questions, Katie Field, about what's going on. And there's a lot coming out of this I was just wondering what you've made of the whole incident it was all a bit odd wasn't it for me the oddest thing is that George North saying he wasn't knocked out and he was laying still to because he thought he'd injured his neck um, now presumably he knows if he was knocked out but maybe he doesn't I don't know because the stills and the and all the TV footage certainly seemed to suggest that he was I mean he basically face planted into the grass and didn't move um, so maybe we have to take George's word for it I don't know but certainly Northampton made a different statement in the middle of the week when they'd seen other footage, which we all saw watching it on the TV at the time, and they saw the angles which appeared to show that he was out. Um, they said that their medical staff didn't have access to those angles. They now do have access to, to video footage at the pitch side to try and help them assess players in situations like that. But they said they didn't see all those angles. Now, I don't know why they didn't, because they were on the TV within, you know, you know I don't know, a few minutes. So whether that's something that the the game needs to work on with the TV companies. If the TV um, people are, are seeing an, an angle which they think is really important, then maybe they should have a, a way that they can contact the fourth official and say, guys, the doctors need to see this. I don't know. Well, there's a, there's a point on this. is Premiership Rugby have made a big play this year about meeting up with a company. I was fortunate enough to speak to the CEO during the summer. Um, he was at an event um, that I was emceeing at, and I had a conversation with him about this thing called My Play by Play. Is a company where you can get has its own Wi-Fi, um, at real time gives you video footage. Now it was initially designed to be an analysis thing where you could see coaches could see in real time and a replay so they could look back an incident and see what went wrong there. 
then they realise the potential for this as a medical tool where independent doctors and your own doctors could look at this footage and say, right, is that a concussive incident? Let's study it. So for a lot of people, with this technology, it seems a bit... Now, I don't know the ins and outs of exactly what angles were available to that, but it's also something that BT Sport have come out and disputed in the last 24 hours. Well, a source from BT Sport in the Daily Mail. Well, yeah, OK. <laughs> well, no, I just want to be yes, specific, because yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not an official... Yeah, of course. It's not an official quote from a spokesman, that's yeah. a source. But I, it's good to raise that, that they've disputed it and said they would have all the angles. I mean, we don't know what they saw. What I'd say is the TMO can see that, would be able to see that from the truck. He would be able to see all the things. I know it's not his job to look at concussion, mm -hmm. but... There's a rule now that if someone's suspected of being concussed, they have to be off, whatever. That mm -hmm. a referee can go and send someone from an HIA if they think they need yeah. to have a head check. Why is that? Why aren't the officials communicating to each other to say, I think you need to get, don't let him back on. He definitely looks like he's being concussed. Like, whatever the thing is, everyone needs to be on the same page. I don't think if Leicester saw the angles and then they went to Northampton and said, oh, he's being concussed. You know, then you could say, yeah. oh, are they joking because they don't want George North to come back on? But there's people in that ground who would have seen those angles. Apparently, it was shown on the big screen. Yeah. So the officials should have seen it. And then, regardless of whether the doctor wants to let them back on, if they think someone's being concussed, the referee has the power to say, no, you've got to stay off. That's the that's in the rules now. I think one of the key talking points of this is, this is an ever-evolving field. But at the very heart of it should be player welfare. Now, if things technology can't quite keep up with the incidents, it's improving all the time, fine. If medical practices, if, if the rulings of an HIA, for example, don't factor in the fact that someone has, has a history of concussion, then that will evolve in the future. I think the thing is, I've seen a lot of people saying, leave, how dare you comment, you know, leave it to the professionals. Um, if, you know, if there's an independent inquiry and someone comes out in the wash, fine, leave it to that. But my point is, what is the role of the press? Um, I'm going to give you a bit like Owen Jones here. I'm going to give you a bit of Latin. Chris Custodia, <laughs> Ipsos Custodes, who will watch The Watchmen? You know, if people in the press aren't asking serious questions to say, that's a bit weird, what's going on there? Can you please explain yourself? Then what's the point? You can't leave it to a team or a governing body or to always go, right, we've got everything spot on. And if they don't, it's all right, we'll find out and get back to you. You've got to ask these serious questions. And with this, this is one of those things where We've probably spotted a big hole now in, in the in the process where you say, actually, you know, he's passed an HIA, but this guy has a serious history. And I think I said, when we noticed, saw the replay, we were in the press box at Twickenham, and I said to, to Mockers, um, if ever there was a, an advertisement for the the accumulative effects of concussion, you know, we've seen, we've heard from Shantae Happy in the past say that he was holding a tackle bag and someone hit it nowhere near his head and he was concussed by it. Now, that's probably speculative on my part, and we'll see what happens where it comes out. We've got people taking it, George North's been stood down, we've got independent people looking at it, we'll see what comes out of that process. But I just wanted to raise the point that you can't just leave, leave these things to happen in a bubble and hope that everything sorts itself out. It doesn't quite work like that. Yeah, and let's just hope George is all right. He, poor thing, he must think he's, you know, I don't know, run over a black cat or something, because he's just, it seems to be him all the time, doesn't it? So um, let's hope... Uh, that's the end of it for him for this season and that he's he comes back and plays and doesn't do it again. No, we're very lucky. I haven't gone down the angle here of then getting me going on the talk of play acting and all that sort of stuff, which for some people, for some reason, people think is incredibly prevalent in rugby now, which is, I'm not quite sure of the case of that. But 
very quickly, Europe is back. Uh, European rugby this weekend. Katie Field, you've got the fixture spread out in front of you. What are you looking forward to this weekend? Um, or or well, even today, in fact. Well, today, I'm glad you said that, because if you're listening to this on Thursday, then obviously the very, very big game is Gloucester against La Rochelle tonight. Um, but if you're not listening to this on Thursday or you're not a Gloucester fan, then there's others that you're probably more interested in. Um, Connaught, um, what's the playing at home against Connaught? They're the top two in Pool 2. They're playing on Sunday. We've got to wait till Sunday for that one. Um, they're ahead of um, the other two teams. Neither of the other teams has had a win. So... Um, these this double header Connaught Wasps is a you know a real big one for who's going to get in the driving seat in Pool Two in the Champions Cup. Um, we've also got um, uh, Claremont Averne had a stunning start in Pool Five. They they've got uh, Ulster. They, Claremont have got the most um, the ten points at the moment from their two games. So if they can beat Ulster this weekend, then they're really dead set to get through. I think um, from Pool Five. Then Munster, Munster obviously had the start of their um, European campaign disrupted by the very untimely death of Anthony Foley. So they've only played one game so far instead of two like everybody else, um, or almost everybody else. So they've um, got a double header now coming up against Leicester. They started off at home this weekend. So that's a really big fortnight for them if they can, if they want to get their European came, campaign going, then they really need to get some good points against Leicester this weekend. If you want to get that whole um, England v Ireland thing out of the way before the Six Nations, actually, it's a good it's a good couple of weekends coming up because we've got Northampton Saints versus Leinster. Leinster are top in their group. Northampton States, Saints are bottom of their pool. So, um, But they've got a doubleheader. There's only a, a couple of points between them, so it could be topsy-turvy. See how that goes. We've got Munster hosting Leicester this weekend as well, and we've got Wasps v Connett. So there's a there's a real England v Ireland theme going on there. Sarah Watford, are there any fixtures you're looking forward to, or any players you're looking forward to seeing? In you action? guys have covered it all. You've saved me a job. <laughs> I think Ulster Claremont could be really interesting for on uh, at Kingspan Saturday lunchtime. You know, Claremont can they keep the run going? I mean, I think they probably are one of the favourites this year, but Ulster at home with that crowd it could be very interesting. Can I just give a shout to uh, in also in the Challenge Cup NSI the uh, the Russian team. I, you beat me to it because because oh, my boys are playing Breve and they won yeah. that fixture last year. Yeah, two wins out of two so far. Though it has to be said they have played them both at home and they're playing at home again this weekend. Well, so I know not it's not their proper home. home yeah. I know, but they haven't had to travel to an away team's home ground yet. If you see what I mean. Um, because I think it's because of the weather, it, the potential winter freeze in Russia, they're making them play their games um, all at home before January um, and then they're going to be away. So, yeah, I think, you know, two out of two, top of pool three, who would have thought it? Nosebleeds all around up there. So um, good luck to them this weekend. There's also the old Cardiff Bath, a revival of the old derbies that people used to love playing in. So oh. that'll be interesting. And Connacht, how are they going to react with the news that Pat Lamb's leaving at the end of the season? I know from social media if some players might not be too happy with that announcement so he gave a very emotional very emotional interview the other day actually talking about talking about his future Pat Lamb if you've got a chance to check it out on RTE have a look at it it is um, a fascinating insight into his thought process god he's a very passionate man Pat Lamb oh yeah he is very passionate well that, thank you we've also got uh, Saracens versus Harlequins but it's Timisora Saracens from Romania so it's like <laughs> slightly different uh, see how they go but there's there's plenty to keep keep track of and just wanted to point out that I, if you heard me mention it halfway through there the new issue of Rugby World the festive issue of Rugby World is in all good shops now um, just a quick pricey of, of what's in it 
Um, we've got big names like Marco Vinopola. We've got Lee Halfpenny. Lee Halfpenny. We've got Greg Laidlaw. We've got CJ Stander. CJ Stander. Yeah. I don't know why I did a weird voice. But most importantly, there's a free calendar. Yes. It's free. Free people. <laughs> when do you ever get anything for free these days? It's got loads of great lines, pictures in from previous tours to New Zealand. You'll love it. And also, I happened to have, a, I was going to say, a black weekend. A black and white weekend, this was. I went on tour with um, the Barbarians, so you can keep track of that. All sorts of other little bits and pieces in it. But, you know, get Christmas the festive Christmas gift guides, if you want some ideas. There's a Christmas quiz in there as well. So if, you, you know, if you're stumped, you've got a rugby-loving family that you're spending Christmas with and you want to zhuzh things up a little bit, you've got that. But anyway, that's in shops now. Go and check it out. And thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Cheers.